don't understand, do you? Hey, man, don't you realize not for us to make this thing work, man? We've got to get rid of the pimps and the pushers and the prostitutes and then start all over again clean. Hey, look, nobody's pushing me anyway, okay? I mean, not you, not the cops, nobody, man. I mean, you want to get rid of the pushers, I'll help you. But don't send your people after me. Oh, come on, John. Can't you see that we can't get rid of one without getting rid of the other? We got to come down on both of them at the same time in order for this whole thing to work for the people. Hey, look, nobody's closing me out of my business. Greetings. Thank you for joining us for episode three of Black Bocracy, where we try to do our very best to bring you insightful information regarding the plight of African-American people here in the United States. Today, I want to talk about a particular subject that would allow you to rethink your own individual status here in the United States. This particular topic stems from what is known as Washington, D.C., District of Columbia. And today's topic is titled Chocolate City and the 14th Amendment. And I am reminded of a quote that once said, well, it is something to get slavery abolished within a 10 mile square after 30 years of arguing and petitioning. This was once said by an abolitionist white lady by the name of Lydia Maria Child. And she advocated for freeing slaves. On April 16, 1862, in Washington, D.C., they reached a milestone by finally freeing slaves in the District of Columbia under newly elected President Abraham Lincoln. Slave owners were compensated up to $300 for each individual through the national treasury. Of course, this move was strongly criticized by slaveholders residing in the southern states. And one of the representatives in Congress by the name of George Taylor from Delaware even accused Lincoln's signing of the bill as an abolitionist bribe. Get that, good people. George Taylor, a representative from Delaware, accused Abraham Lincoln's signing of the bill as an abolitionist bribe. Perhaps Taylor's assertion upon the surface of things seems to be far-fetched. However, I want you all to consider several factors here. That first, white abolitionists didn't have anything else to gain other than clearing their conscience. And many were able to profit from the emancipation of slavery including William Lloyd Garrison, one of the leading spokesmen during the abolitionist movement and chief editor of the leading newspaper in the North called The Liberator. It is a known fact that he and Frederick Douglass split around 1851 after philosophical disagreements on how to advance black people here in the United States. And Douglas demanded greater leadership for blacks while Garrison 
advocated that they should remain in a more passive role by giving speeches and providing fundraisers. Also, when we consider the statement by white abolitionist Lydia Child, the statement saying that the effect it will produce, speaking about slavery, the effect it will produce is of more importance than the act itself. Now this really got me to thinking. Exactly what will it produce? That will be more important than the act itself. Another well-known fact that in 1862, President Lincoln pushed for what was called the Colonization Plan, which urged blacks to consider a plan to expatriate to Central America. Lincoln said, if you will engage in the enterprise, I will spend some of the money entrusted to me. Listen to that for a second. If you will engage in the enterprise, commerce. So, is it possible that the colonization plan was another attempt by the international bankers to extend government expansion into foreign land at the price of free labor? Again, I asked the question. Was this an attempt by the international bankers to extend government expansion into foreign land at the price of free labor? So now exactly what am I talking about when I'm talking about the international bankers attempt to extend government expansion into foreign land. You have to remember that England set up the charters here in North America under the 13 colonies. So they saw an opportunity to expand into foreign land. And so the cycle begins to repeat itself because of enterprise, because of slavery by expanding it into Central America. So now the District of Columbia Emancipation Bill in 1862 freed less than 2,000 slaves. And that's hardly enough to cultivate and develop a vast expansion of land. But nevertheless, Lincoln's statement, if you will engage in the enterprise was actually foreseen five years earlier. And now it was about to be executed. This is where I want you to put your thinking caps on. Set aside your emotions and let's think. What happened five years earlier? Well, let's see. Many of us may have heard of the name Dred Scott. And much have been written about Dred Scott, a black man and former slave owned by an army surgeon named John Emerson in 1836. Many have said that his case 
was the forerunner to the Civil War. I don't totally agree with this analysis because we must remember there wasn't a quorum in place between 1860 and 1861. And a quorum, Q-U-O-R-U-M, for those of us who is not familiar with that language, is where you have all the members of Congress coming together to deliberate on transactions. They have to be present. All Congress members have to be present in order to do business. Let me give you an example. If you was in a room, you and one other person, and you all was trying to hammer out a contract, and one of them got up and walked out, you can no longer do business concerning that contract. So what happened between 1860 and 1861, the Southern representatives walked out of Congress and it created what is called Synodi, S-I-N-E-D-I-E, Synodi, or one could say indefinite situation. In other words, they was left hanging, the North was, because the issue at that time wasn't really about slavery, but it was about commerce. Slavery was just used as window dressing. Okay? So simply put, the South wanted to be redeemed from the crown in England, while the North wanted to maintain the creditor and debtor relationship with England. Black people were only being used like pawns in a higher commercial game of chess. And this is why I stated earlier that slavery was only window dressing. Now, after the passing of John Emerson, Scott made an attempt to obtain his freedom in 1847. His petition was based upon having lived in free states while traveling with Emerson. The lower courts ruled that Dred Scott had no legal standing and later the United States Courts of Appeal upheld their decision. Now here's where it's about to get real interesting, good people, and why I titled this episode three, Chocolate City and the 14th Amendment. Dred Scott's case made it all the way to the United States Supreme Court where Chief Justice Roger B. Taney rendered the majority opinion that blacks was not a citizen of the United States Incorporation and that they was never intended to be. Of course, some of you are already familiar with this landmark Supreme Court case. But here's something that you may not have known. Justice Taney was a 33rd degree Mason under the British Lodge. And he based his Dred Scott decision from the contractual agreement of 55 white businessmen who signed the original organic United States Constitution. For me, Tanny's words ring loud and clear because he stated that the people of the Negro race are not included and were not intended to be included under the word citizen in the Constitution and can therefore claim none of the rights and privileges 
which that instrument, meaning the Constitution, provides and secures to citizens of the United States, end quote. Now, this may come as a shock to many African Americans today, but this decision handed down on March the 6th 1857 by the Supreme Court has never been reversed. This decision handed down on March 6, 1857 by the United States Supreme Court has never been reversed. And if you run into one of these run-of-the-mills attorneys that says otherwise, just kind of asked them for the citation that overturned it. Many people have said that this case was repealed by the 14th Amendment. Okay, fair enough. However, why don't we examine this security agreement for all walks of life? Just a little closer and see if our further investigation cannot reveal the true intentions behind this 14th Amendment. After the Civil War ended in April of 1865, there was an estimated four million blacks were left in a vagabond or nomadic state. Did y'all hear me? After the Civil War ended in April of 1865, an estimated four million blacks were left in a vagabond or nomadic state, meaning that they was wandering. And like any business, this represented an opportunity for the benefit of the federal government. Of course, the financial forecast for future investments needed to be very conservative due to the Civil War. and other long-standing issues between the North and South. I want to be very clear about that. The financial forecast for future investments needed to be very conservative due to the Civil War and other long-standing issues between the North and the South. What type of issues? Commercial issues, goods and services, creditors and debtors, such as states' rights, trade, and tariffs. Lincoln not only needed to win the war, but he also needed cheap labor to rebuild after the war. So now Abraham Lincoln, being the first Republican appointed president, for those of you who didn't know that, who thought he was a Democrat for some odd reason, because he signed off on the so-called Emancipation Proclamation, was not a Democrat. He was a Republican. And he was appointed president while advancing a much higher agenda on behalf of the Crown of England. Commerce was and still is the order of the day, good people. We're going to pause for a commercial break and we'll pick this back up when we return. 
So we're back. And let us continue with this topic of Chocolate City and the 14th Amendment. As I was saying when we left off, Abraham Lincoln, being the first Republican appointed president, was advancing a much higher agenda on the behalf of the crown of England. And that commerce was and still is the order of the day. And allowing it to collapse is never acceptable in the eyes of the powerful. Therefore, slaves living down in the South became Lincoln's greatest asset. I'm going to repeat that again. Slaves living down in the South became Lincoln's greatest asset. Not only to help defend the United States Constitution, but to help rebuild the country. And what better way to proceed than referring to the Dred Scott versus Sanford case. And this Dred Scott versus Sanford case would eventually be Lincoln's saving grace. Why? Because this case allowed the 14th Amendment to come in. And although the 14th Amendment wasn't officially enacted until July the 28th, 1868, the groundwork for its inception had already been laid down. Lincoln obviously knew that it would have been very contradictory to first deny black people citizenship pursuant to Dred Scott and then turn right around and ask for their help during the Civil War. Therefore, some concessions needed to be made. But my question, good people, is simply this. How does one do this while honoring the original signatories of the United States Constitution, those who stand to profit from it, meaning those 55 white men who originally signed the Constitution? It's simple. You create a fallacious document while incorporating sophist language and you call it the 14th Amendment. Remember, inside a fictional world, anything can be made to look free just as long as people are willing to believe in it. And just because you're not wearing manacles or shackles or fetters doesn't necessarily mean slavery doesn't exist. If you can influence or control the way a person think, then he or she becomes your subject. It's as simple as that. So the 14th Amendment was designed to do exactly that. It brought black people from truly being free back into a state of servitude. Not physically, but mentally. And up until 1868, we were independent of the social compact or this contract called the United States Constitution. For the first time, black people were in a position to make their own decisions. And those seated in power, mainly the international bankers, could not allow this to happen. Too much time, energy and money had been invested in black people as a commodity. And the institution of slavery was their main product. Therefore, the 14th Amendment was manufactured out of a law of necessity. Money 
is a strong influence and a deity for many people. And what is the scripture saying? The love of money is what? The root to all evil. It's the love of it. Money. When you set it up as your God concept. When you begin to worship the money. Money is a strong influence and a deity for many people. If you are under the mindset that the 14th Amendment is the result of some abolitionist speeches and had nothing to do with commercial influence deriving from the posterity of the original signatories for which this system was designed, then consider this for one moment. Then draw your conclusion that the Royal African Company owned by England in the 16th and 17th century saw free slave labor as a very profitable market. And then they applied great pressure from Great Britain to develop a slave economy in the American colonies. And in doing so, they actually persuaded William Penn, who's the leader of the Quakers and where the state of Pennsylvania gets its name from. They persuaded him to overrule the objections of fellow Quakers while permitting slavery into Pennsylvania. Fact. Then in 1782, the city of Philadelphia decreed that only blacks could be bought and sold into slavery. Prior to this, any race was subjected to slavery. William Penn claiming Christian principles was against slavery during the late 1600s. So what influenced him to now reverse course? Without question, the British Parliament England bankers and money kings played a major role in his decision making. That's a fact. New laws were developed to increase and maintain the slave economy. Unvoice, meaning representatives, was even sent to educate slave owners in the case of the infamous Willie Lynch program in 1712. That's a fact. So now I asked you, if the intent of these speculators was to manufacture a slave system of perpetual bondage that produce generational wealth, do you really believe Lincoln's emancipation of 1863 freed black people? Think about that for a second. Cogitate on that for a second. Again, if the intent of these speculators, meaning those who was looking for opportunity in North America, was to manufacture a slave system of perpetual bondage that will produce generational wealth, do you really believe Lincoln's emancipation in 1863 actually freed black people? Former slaves were still suffering from identity crisis and growing amnesia 
to their homeland of Africa. Therefore, they needed to have a sense of belonging. This emotional setback led to the die being cast and four million black people migrated into the federal zone both physically and mentally and became the major reason why Washington, D.C. is known today as Chocolate City. So all of the black people living in the 10-mile square, Washington, D.C., this is the real history behind the name Chocolate City. This was a major diaspora after the so-called Emancipation Proclamation. And although Washington, D.C. became overpopulated with blacks, not all former slaves moved from the South up to the North. Many chose to remain immobilized and help rebuild the Southern parts of the United States while others sought a better life. So it's important to remember whether they stayed behind or decided to migrate, the 14th Amendment worked as a dual principle, meaning all walks of life were now being offered spiritually and materially through indoctrinations that consciously and subconsciously made people subservient to the commercial contract called the United States Constitution to help continue the enterprise of those wealthy families, the aristocratic family from England. So, what we have today is continuous movement towards commercial enterprise that uses African-American people as commodity for the exchange of goods and services. And this is one of the major reasons why they will let every other ethnic group free except African-American people. We have been known to fight in every war that has ever been fought in the United States. Dated way back to the 1600s, the Queen England's War, the Civil War, the American Revolution, Vietnam, World War I, World War II, I know they're not in chronological order, but you get my drift. And so now I want to share this with you. Regarding the 14th Amendment. Which clearly states in section one. All persons born or naturalized in the United States. And subject. To the jurisdiction thereof. Are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction. And where is this jurisdiction? 10 miles square. The equal protection of the laws. Again, 
The slave economy is still alive and well. And to ensure that it would be, the 13th Amendment was enacted as a precursor to the 14th. This sophisticated new slave system could not be so obvious. Therefore, it was disguised under the color of law. And as we are reminded by the 13th Amendment, Section 1, it states, Neither slavery nor servitude, except there is an exception, as a punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And so for those of you who thought that slavery actually ended, the 13th Amendment says otherwise. If you commit a crime, slavery is still the order of the day, fully enacted. And so you wonder why we have Mass incarceration. They just changed the name. And hid it under the criminal justice. Or I like to say injustice system. And that's why nearly every president. In modern day politics echoes the same proclamation that we are a nation of laws. With approximately 60 million laws and codes on their books. It's no wonder that freedom comes at a very heavy price. And unfortunately, it's mostly black and brown people who suffers from these draconian commercially enacted laws. And this is why we need a black democracy. So that we will re-educate ourselves about what is going on. In our society today to have a better understanding. Now we're going to transition into something that I want to share with you regarding this term called dualocracy. Because when you hear me say black democracy, you may assume that it was something that I just picked out of the air that did not have really a, 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 a basis for Nah, this just wasn't some knowledgeism made up out of thin air. It's rooted in African-American people in this country after the so-called Emancipation Proclamation. But this term, dualocracy, that many of you are not familiar with, spelled D-U-L-O-C-R-A-C-Y. This is a term or a legal term that is used to describe what not just African-American people, what American people in general are really ingratiated in today. After former slaves brought into the federal zone through all walks of life, according to the 14th Amendment, what status or condition did this actually place them in? And future generations. Don't wear our weight. 
Perhaps you may blindly suggest that it qualified African-Americans as having equal political and social status amongst white people due to being called American citizens. Of course, we should know that this was not the original thinking of most white Americans. How do we know this? Easily. Just look at the Supreme Court case in 1896, Plessy versus Ferguson, which supports this fact. In its ruling, it stated that state laws requiring separate but equal accommodations for Negroes were reasonably used state police powers. And if you will notice that it didn't say state policy powers. It mentions police. Which signifies by force if necessary. And you wonder why the police. Are out there abusing African-American brothers and sisters. Because in the word police, you have P-O-L-I power. And the policy is just the administrative part that's being enacted that allows them to do what it is that they're doing. Rectifying this way of thinking have continued to be an ongoing process. And in my estimation may never be resolved until nature's creator resets the balance. Not when you try to set the balance, but when nature's creator sets the balance. Equality prior to 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, many of us remember that, was only looked upon by the United States Constitution to secure the blessings of liberty, not assert equality for all. In fact, the writers of the Constitution was originally establishing a constitutional republic for people who were equally in property, not equally human. Also, it has been already written that Jim Crow brought in a new form of slavery. As one revisionist wrote, that the object of the 14th Amendment was undoubtedly to enforce the absolute equality of the two races before the law. However, and get this, in the nature of things, it could not have been intended to abolish distinctions based upon color or to enforce social as distinguished from political equality or a commingling of the two races upon terms unsatisfactory to either. So in other words, the 14th Amendment was not written to do away with racial identity, nor to make a person's poverty ranking equal to the aristocratic families. Neither blending black and white people upon agreements they didn't like. This is what this landmark Supreme Court case, Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896, represented. So again, I asked you, where did this leave African Americans Heading into the 20th, the 21st centuries and now the millennium, where did this leave African-American people? Don't worry, I'll wait. The answer to this question isn't as difficult as you may think. 
However, if you lack interest in history or an unwillingness to be informed on complex issues, then you suffer from a lack of knowledge. It's just that simple. Refraining from our responsibility to search for knowledge until the grave leads to a dummying down in America, as we can fully see. But my duty is to simply uh, is to present the information in spite of some people's non-responsive condition. So in other words, if you're laying down on the concrete and you're just totally out of it, and I'm trying to revive you by resuscitating you, and I'm pounding on your chest, even probably giving you a few slaps and trying to pour water on you, and you don't respond, is that on me or is that on you? So in continuing, this left African Americans, and truthfully speaking, majority of Americans induced by the social contract in a state of bureaucracy. D-U-L-O-C-R-A-C-Y. This underused term derives from the Greek word doulos, which means servant. And further definition says it's a government in which servants or slaves have so many privileges that they essentially rule. So what this basically leads to is not the original constitution based upon the principles in which it was designed for all people to be, as they would say, for the people, by the people, and essentially that the people are the one who rules because government representatives work for them. What this is saying is that you rule by privileges. That's what this term duolocracy means. That you are now ruling by privileges. And that's not the way the United States Constitution was originally set up. So now, does any of this sound familiar? Not really, then let's see. Because many Americans today chooses to disregard the history of the United States inception, they tend to forget that liberty as well as the freedom to pursue your own happiness without any interruptions was always at the forefront of the Declaration of Independence. And sure, the Commerce Clause, the Commerce Clause enacted into the United States Constitution gave government the power to regulate interstate commerce. However, that was mainly due to ensure that the balance between each state regarding trade would be equally shared. So I'm questioning now, is that what we're seeing? That the wealth is being equally shared? Or there's still just 1% of the population that's still benefiting? Government's major responsibility is to balance the book based upon equally shared, derived wealth based upon the Commerce Clause. This is in the United States Constitution. But now what happens when your liabilities surpasses your assets? Technically, you're bankrupt. And this has occurred many times throughout the history of the United States. 
Whenever this happens, more government programs are thrust into the equation or criminal enactment starts to surface. And I don't know if you ever heard the saying, the more laws they create, the more people go to jail. This helps to create a tax liability for the goods and services that are needed. And this is what happened in 1933 under the Roosevelt administration and his so-called New Deal. This free government-sponsored program was enacted just four years after the Great Depression 1929 and nearly handicapped African-American people. Remember, we come out of the Reconstruction era and we was great builders again. We was the one that was rebuilding these United States. So exactly who was depressed? Certainly wasn't black people from any economical perspective. We already understood financial and mental oppression from slavery. Therefore, this expression used to describe the economic conditions during the late 20s is misused when applied to African-American people. However, uh, with that being said, the cause and effect. We spoke about this previously in episode two. For every cause, there's an effect. And it crippled many blacks living throughout the South and the Midwest, forcing them to step into the free line. So remember, most governmental programs usually maintain some stipulation to be agreed upon because they're presenting a social contract. Whereas you have expressed or implied giving up some legal right that ensures government protection. Of course, what better way to manipulate a relationship than through the law of necessity? We know, or should know, that the first rule to survival is self-preservation. Yielding to the New Deal meant simply having to give up something which was independent authority to engage in free markets the way you see fit. If the 14th Amendment brought black people into the federal zone, the so-called New Deal certainly made them and many other ethnic groups subjects and bondsmen to it. With programs such as food stamps, grants, licenses, marriage license, driving permits, etc. All of this was part of the New Deal commercial scheme which caused us to be in an adhesion contract with the Federal Zone. This also includes the Social Security Act of 1935, which was brought into play two years after the United States bankruptcy of 1933. Since the Southern states had already implemented their black codes and vagrancy laws, this was the federal government way of continuing to support state rights while keeping up with the new and improved commercial slave system. And with all of this came bureaucracy. So you still rule, but only by privileges. And there is a saying, a shark cares not who it eats as long as it's in the water. So my point is, any group of people can be sacrificed at the altar if there's a real threat of collapsing capitalism way of life. The American people as a whole have been made that sacrificial lamb. 
for the purposes of the one world government. Politicians in America talk democracy, but truthfully, government administrations have relegated the American people into a state of bureaucracy. How, you may ask? By loading us up with nothing except debt and privileges. And this is how we're able to so-called rule. So understand, good people, that this takes us out of having complete autonomy bestowed upon us by nature's creator, the Most High God. And it places us into a subservient role. We can return to a pristine state of living by reclaiming that we are alive and well to administrate our own black vocracy. This will conclude episode three of Black Vocracy, Chocolate City, and the 14th Amendment. And before I sign off, I want you to remember this. Self-help is the best help. God bless, be safe, and as always, keep God first.